Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews donors, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of fundraising. This week's episode explores what it looks like to work for a younger institution and realize exciting potential. The way that our guest combined a variety of skills for his current role, and the critical aspect of leadership throughout the way. Brandon Baker is the Associate Senior Vice President for University Advancement at the University of Southern California, USC, where he works across campus on principal and transformational gift opportunities. Baker has experience in launching and leading campaigns, and prior to joining USC, Brandon spearheaded the $400 million Tomorrow Demands Today campaign at the Rand Corporation. Baker previously served as Assistant Dean of External Affairs at the UCLA Samuli School of Engineering. He and his team were responsible for a $250 million goal as part of the school's campaign, a component of UCLA's $4.2 billion effort. He has more than 16 years of experience in both public and private higher education institutions. He also served as a development director at Villanova University and Columbia Business School. Baker holds an MA in Higher Education Administration from New York University and a BS in Biology from the University of Tennessee Southern. Now let's get started. Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue unlocks the potential of your entire donor pyramid. But how? Why by giving fundraising teams the tools they need to personalize outreach at scale? Wow. And to inspire fundraising teams along the way, we offer Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub. Evertrue Studios is like Netflix, but for Advancement. And we publish new podcast and video content every week. It's all free and all created with fundraisers in mind. Subscribe for weekly content from the Development Debrief podcast and other Advancement thought leaders at evertrue.com backslash studios. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the Debrief. Hi, thanks so much, Catherine. It's good to uh, to be here with you. I love seeing the sunshine coming through at the window of your brand new office. Yeah, I know. It's kind of exciting. I'm literally um, Tommy Trojan. So I'm at USC now. Um, Tommy Trojan is literally just right outside this window. So I get to see tons of students all day long. I get to hear them. My favorite part is actually hearing the student tours, mostly high school students coming in to see the campus, hearing the admissions tours. I actually learn a lot because I can That's hear great. sometimes, uh, especially when I'm closer to the windows, I can actually hear what they're saying. I, it's fascinating to sort of hear how they pitch the school and mm-hmm. it actually helps me in fundraising too, just to sort of know those little uh, tidbits of information. So I'm loving it. Well, congratulations on your new position. What inspired the move? The the new role is uh, Associate Senior Vice President of Advancement, uh, report up to Scott Rabinold. Um, he is a fantastic fundraiser and leader um, in development and advancement. And so that was a big part of the reason. Another big part of uh, the reason that I wanted to, to join, I wanted to get back into a big university setting. I wanted to work with donors that were, have capabilities of giving upwards of 10, 25 million plus, you know, in a, on a consistent basis. I wanted to be able to work at an organization that could create multidisciplinary strategies for these donors. So it's not just very sort of singular um, support. And this job gave me that opportunity. It also gave me the opportunity to work closely with deans and chief development officers across multiple professional schools here at USC and, you know, help them uh, stay on target and hit large ambitious goals. Because I, I I grew up in the 
units. I grew up in a, in a professional school background. I started right. at Columbia University at the business school um, and then went to UCLA. I was at the engineering school for a very long time. Um, I've had a couple of central kind of focused jobs, one at Villanova University where I was running regional giving for West Coast. And then of course, my last job at Rand um, where I was running all development, which was very sort of centralized focus across multiple divisions, that sort of thing. So I had that experience of working with deans. I wanted to be able to bring that back and help others um, along with their mission and along with their work um, that they're trying to accomplish for their particular schools. It always feels good when you're able to combine multiple goals into a new role. Yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting. It is kind of probably the first time in my career that I've been able to say that I can do that. Because a lot of, I think for, until now, it's been very sort of focused on what I know um, in that particular area. Now it's it's much more vast and allows me to use the skills I've learned and picked up at, at other organizations to bring here. Yeah, well, you were nominated to be on the podcast because for two reasons. One was some of the great work that you did at RAND and, you know, multiplying, having huge impact um, with the raises there. And then the second was your leadership and the impact you've made with your management and growth of, of others. So let's start by hearing a little bit about what RAND is and also what brought you there from the unit's background. And then let's talk about how you really created a 10x increase in giving there. Cause that's yeah. a pretty, that's a pretty exciting headliner. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really exciting to get that call several years ago. I was there for a little over five years. Um, I left UCLA, the school of engineering to take that, to take the role on at RAND. Um, and, uh, you know, right. So RAND is a, a research organization that does uh, policy research um, uh, through various factors, through national security, um, through healthcare, um, social economic well-being, education, labor. Um, there are many, um, honestly, there's not really anything policy driven or related that RAND doesn't touch or that doesn't have a, 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 an understanding of and doesn't do research on. I took that role on for a couple of reasons. One, the potential that you just described um, was very clear to me when I started talking to them. But also I was at a point in my career where I thought I need to give back to my country in a way that I, I wasn't necessarily feeling that it, at the university level. Now that I'm not at RAND, I can actually talk about this pretty pretty openly. Um, Donald Trump was in office and I felt uh, the need to be able to do something that was going to uh, create better policy around research, um, around facts and evidence and analysis. Um, and I thought that that was incredibly important. I did not want to get into political fundraising. I don't want to be a politician at all. But I thought this this is a very unique way for me to be able to give back to my country to to help you know get us on get us on a on a good path um, yeah. towards policy. And so that obviously um, was a driving factor. Then looking at sort of the opportunity that exists when I was uh, talking with them. Uh, about the about what was needed with building a campaign. Um, the organization had never really focused uh, a tremendous amount of work on fundraising. Um, there's always been fundraising, but at a very small level. The first campaign that they ever did was about 20 years ago, and uh, it was only about $100 million that they ended up raising over the course of the seven or 10-year process that they went through it. So I knew that the, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit, most likely. I knew that there was a very sort of loyal, dedicated volunteer structure that they had been building over the course of decades. And I knew that people had a deep interest in, similarly to what I just described, the reason why I went there, people had a deep interest of supporting an organization like RAND that is very fact-based analysis-driven, 
um, uh, a research organization. So I took the opportunity and I said, let's let's do this. And um, they gave me the, the, the chance to build a, a pretty robust team. Um, I started with about 10 or 11 people um, and immediately grew that to about 25. And then when I wow. left, we were at 35 um, staff members that were focused on all things development. Um, so all advancement services, um, reporting, analytics, all that kind of stuff, plus events. And then of course, frontline fundraising, annual giving, fundraising, foundation relations. Um, and so really sort of building out that entire structure because it didn't exist. Um, there was there was certain, there was a little bit of it there, but we really didn't, they didn't have a professionalized structure. So they trusted- you know where to start with that? Which aspects to build first? Yeah, I, I kind of played a gamble. I, I I think that I kind of knew, but in a way I was just saying, you know what, we've got to be able to get out in front of people to see what what is our opportunity for gifts coming in. So I really focused actually at the frontline fundraiser piece first. Um, I think that when, I re- when I'm reflecting back on it, I think that the backend um, uh, support staff uh, and that structure was actually probably pretty good. Um, and a lot of those those staff members are actually still there. They they stayed with me and they they really they they had a good system that was starting to be put into place. So I really focused on the frontline fundraisers, building up that mm-hmm. team first, which was a little bit of a of an issue because when you're bringing on frontline fundraisers, they expect to have a robust portfolio, right? Well, I had to do a lot of explaining during the interview process is that you're going to have to build it. There is a good sort of um, advisors and volunteers, and we actually have alumni. We they in a way operate sort of like a law firm where they the staff members that go on from RAND or alumni, I'm an alumnus now and will support the organization. Um, and so we had, you know, and those were great plan giving kind of opportunities and, and prospects because most of them were sort of towards the end of their career and, uh, you know, and, and um, of a certain age. So we certainly had a decent portfolio, but it wasn't super robust. And so I was very mindful of that when frontline fundraisers would come in to tell them, like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do some ground on the ground work, build a portfolio get to know people through these volunteers that you're going to get to work with. So um, what kind of, what kind of fundraiser were you attracting with that kind of entry yeah, point? I luckily had a good base of people who wanted to come with me from UCLA, which That's helped. Right. Um, they trusted me and I trusted them. I worked with them um, and some of them I'd even trained to, to, to be front, the frontline funders that they are today. Um, so that helps. I was able to be very, very upfront with them about the need and mm-hmm. what we were have to do to to, to um, uh, accomplish success. Many of them came from higher education. Um, a few from the healthcare um, industry because we were we have a very big healthcare policy uh, focus. Where I really focused on was foundational relations because foundations are a big com- were a, a component of the organization already. But I saw there could be such greater opportunity if we just got organized. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hired a really, really um, solid foundation relations team and they came in and had to build not the interesting thing is they were kind of the opposite where they had the prospects. People would take our calls from foundations. They had to build the internal structures to be able to handle the amount of foundation support to be able to go at it in an organized approach, as opposed to being sort of piecemeal one off projects going and asking, you know, a foundation that has $7 billion in assets, asking them for a hundred grand is probably not the best strategy. Let's think more holistically holistically about the organization and where we can um, solicit the largest amount from the foundation and where our um, priorities lie with theirs. And Did you also, have yeah. a clear vision to work with when you came in? Was there a clear plan from leadership about 
we're here today and we want to be here in five years? Or did you, were you part of that process as well? Yeah, I was really part of that. When I, when I started, they wanted to do a campaign. That was really sort of the charge. We want to. We we don't know what that's supposed to look like. We knew. We they knew that I had a background in in campaign um, planning and and running campaigns at UCLA, and I I was able to work my first one at Columbia um, as a little kid. Um, but, Which one but was I, that for for those who would know? So yeah, it was. Uh, I focused on the Manhattanville project for the business school. Um, so I was a part of that. Now the buildings are there and it's so cool to go back yeah, and see. So cool. Um, and I was, I was part of just, just helping write some of the, the content that, that the, and I was even a frontline fundraiser when I started mm-hmm. um, as a development coordinator um, and then worked on annual fund giving. So it wasn't necessarily working on the actual buildings themselves, but working really closely with Lisa Gay and others. Um, I got a, I got a lot of experience just watching them at work and it was fascinating and I picked it up and, and I saw how it works well um, and how yeah. to do it right. So I took that to UCLA and worked on the $4.2 billion centennial campaign. Um, and uh, I was a part of the engineer. I ran the engineering school. So it was, uh, our goal was 250 million and we, we, we beat that. And so I had that background and, and ran knew that. So I immediately came in and started working with, they had already hired a consulting firm, Martin Lundy, who had done a lot of the groundwork, a lot of the, the data anal- analysis um, they were starting to think about the feasibility interviews with donors, which was very helpful for me to start around that time uh, because I was able to help shape some of the questions and things that I needed as a leader to know in order to make a decision on, okay, priorities and then also the actual amount of money that we were going to try to raise. And I will say that was a little bit, uh, I, had to, I had to really dig in on this because the um, as many organizations you know that don't have a, a robust fundraising program your data that you're going to be able to go from isn't always the best. And right. so really understanding what the the opportunity was for fundraising over the course of a seven-year campaign to your uh, private face, five-year public was difficult because we had individual data. We did not have foundations um, in the in the typical sense that most organizations would have because foundations were, were considered clients uh, before I got there and they were, they accounted for them differently. So we changed a lot of that. We, we really built a professionalized program. Uh, they asked me to build a campaign. And so it was about six months of really, really, it's the hardest I've ever worked probably, just to get um, uh, things up to speed, get an understanding of where we could go, the priorities, um, building a case statement. And I, and I hired another um, consulting firm to, to basically help me build that case statement across the organization after we identified the five priorities. And then we um, also, at the same time, my, my team, wonderfully talented advancement services team, was able to build a lot of data modeling for me that we could really understand and project. Um, and so we ended up landing on a $400 million goal that we discussed, of course, with our campaign committee which we called our campaign cabinet and which were part of trustees and some other um, high level donors that we wanted to include. And then the trustees, of course, initially had to sign off on it. And so after some back and forth, I actually think that we wanted to start at 600 million. And then I, then I, before we presented, I think we ended at 500. Some trustees came back and said, why don't you do 250? And I was like, that's, we can easily do that I I know we can (laughs) the thing was is that they were just getting to know me as a fundraiser as a leader and I had to I had to trust that process of them them understanding who I was and my capabilities and the team that I was building and their capabilities 
So we ended up landing on four. We, we negotiated and landed on 400 million as a public goal with understanding that if we went over, we would continue fundraising. We wouldn't raise the goal, but we would, we would, you know, we would blast past the 400 and, and luckily we are, they're doing that. I left and they were at 360, I think, um, and two years ahead of schedule. So they will, uh, I think projected, um, to hit 400 million by the end of this calendar year, if not by first quarter of next uh, calendar year, again, well, well early into the timeline of, of finishing in 2025, the end of 2025. Did it feel weird for you to leave without finishing it? It did. Yeah, to be honest, um, I don't like doing that. It was one of those things where we were on such a, a fast path. We had raised uh, so much up front that, uh, and again, it was partly because we just didn't necessarily know the the attention that it was going to get, the, the energy that it was going to get behind with the donors because they hadn't had that in the past. Um, we didn't really have anything to look back at. Well, but you yeah, did close it, a $10 million gift in your last week. So they that can't- That is true. Share. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, we have a, there, there's a graduate school there. It's the the party ran graduate school. And um, and this gift is actually going to help them expand the school, the footprint of the school um, to uh, be included in, in more of their offices across the country and even globally in the UK. Um, and so this, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. I've, I've known the donor my whole time that I was there and it was my second gift um, with him and his wife. And uh, the first was five, this was 10. So it was a good, um, a good increase. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was, that was the last week there. It was one of those like, hey, I'm leaving, you know, I'm leaving. Can we get this done kind of calls? And he was so gracious and, and of course wanted to get it done. Um, yeah. as well. So it was a nice parting gift. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As I was thinking. But I did, I did feel um strange and I, you know, and I and I totally value the idea of staying to the end. But I also, at the end of the day, I also have to look at my own career and those opportunities, the like the one at USC just doesn't come along all the time. Right. And um and they were they were very good about allowing me to to stay as long as I needed to to close up as much as possible um at Rand and I and I feel like I accomplished that. Yeah. So when you, I want to go back to when you said that that period of time, that six months of building out the case for support and working with the consulting firm, that that was some of the hardest period of your professional challenges. What was it that was so hard? Was it everything happening all at once? Was it that you were doing things different? I'd love to hear more about that. Well, I think a lot of it was, was there was a steep education curve that needed to happen at RAND about what fundraising is um, in the way that you would approach donors and individuals and foundations. The other piece was really honing in on the priorities of what we were going to focus on while getting buy-in across the organization. And that's Um, hard when you're new to know what they are. very hard when you're new because there's not a lot of trust there, you know, and and also just not knowing what they are and having to learn really quickly. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of reading and writing, to be honest, um, more so than I'm used to, because at, at big universities, you kind of have teams that just do this kind of stuff for you. Mm-hmm. But I had to lead it. I had a team that was able to do it, but I had to lead that part of the team as well. So um, it really challenged me to think creatively, um, how to have conversations internally, how to lead conversations internally um, around the priorities that I'm hearing from the president and the trustees, but also making sure that the division vice presidents and all of all of those that would be really helpful in the fundraising strategies um, are engaged and feel heard and feel like their particular areas of interest for funding for research were going to be taken into account. 
Um, and really, how do you then how do you write a really large concept of, of strategy without it being so like vague? And so, you know, it has to have concrete funding opportunities. This is the impact we're going to have. This is the results we expect. And this is why, you know, you as a donor are going to feel really, really um, uh, happy, engaged, empowered by your decision to make a really large, significant gift to the organization. And that is another piece that I really wanted to focus on at RAND was, you know, I think that there are definitely, there's value in, in small donors and those numbers certainly add up, but the concepts that we were coming up with, these weren't small. I mean, these were, these were seven figure or, or more seven or eight figure uh, gift conversations that we were going to need to have. So really focusing in on that principal gift level, um, which was super new to them. I mean, if they, before we started this campaign, I mean, they would, they would do a seven figure gift, but maybe once every two or three years, the first year there, I mean, we closed, I think seven or eight, seven figure gifts, um, as a part of, you know, obviously some, a lot of that was trustees, but they believed in the priorities of the campaign. So not, not only just writing and getting all that, that concept down, I had to go start seeing donors too. They had to get to know me so that when we had the concepts ready, they already knew me. They know the president well already because he had been there. He was a very long-standing president. Michael Ridge um, was there for over 40 years, was president for over 13 um, once he retired. And so they knew him very well, but it was my job to carry the strategy forward after the first meeting with him. Yeah, so it was, it was just a lot of um, travel at first. It was a oh, lot I of people see people um, all the while working with the team and our consultants on getting this campaign launched. And we always wanted to, you know, you always want to time a campaign around, you know, some milestone. And so Rand turned 75 years old this year. And so we thought, wow, if we could actually launch, we could actually, you know, maybe end it on the 75th year. That didn't work, which was fine. Because then I thought, well, you know what, we'll just use the milestone as sort of another piece of the campaign time right. frame that we can be yeah. like, there's some urgency around doing something around this anniversary. And we still have a year and a half left after this year. So, you know, it, it actually worked out fine. But the, the pressure was on to get it out there. Yeah, that's the thing is the momentum build is the hardest part. Yeah. What did you do through times of doubt or exhaustion? How did you push yourself through those points? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I have a very good support system around me. My husband is incredibly supportive of what I do and understands the the demand and also the stress of constantly being told no or or not now or you know in, in the constant stress of as a leader always worrying about hitting goal and making sure that we have the funding in to be able to do the the research that are going that's going to change lives. And when you think of it that way, um you know it 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 creates a lot of stress and I think that so I think having a really good support system um, around you, uh, friends that understand what I do, family that understands what I do. Um, but I also think that with at least at Rand, um, I was still driven by what I said earlier about you know the service to country, the service to uh, making better sound decisions, um, at least at this local and state level, maybe federal government doesn't always do that. But but um, I think that that is, that was driving me as well as that, like, we can't wait, we can't rest. We got to move. It was more than just a job for you. More than just a job. Yeah. And, and I kept, you know, you read the news every day, you come in frustrated, but that frustration turns into like sort of this optimism where like, I can change this. I, I can, it starts with me and I can, if I can get money for this, 
I can help move the needle here, or I can help, you know, uh, I can help people who are hurting. I can help people be more prosperous or mm -hmm. safe. And so that was always in the back of my mind of you can't give up. You can't stop. You have to keep moving. Let's shift into talking a little bit about leadership. I'm curious, you know, because you were coming in and introducing these new concepts and bringing in principal gifts and all of these things, how much were you able to grow people in the period that you were at Rand? And how yeah, did yeah, I think um, that's always a big, big focus of mine is it's the fundraising is a lot of fun and I love it. And it's, it's, I was saying earlier, really, it's kind of addictive. You know, once you start closing, <laughs> you want to just do more and more with donors. Uh, make sure they have a great experience. But I also really firmly believe that you've got to develop good talent and uh, work to keep them um, at the organization because I think that that relationships are built and that really, really deeply matters to the organization. Um, and so, you know, I think that for me, it's about making sure I have the time to commit to working with each one of my frontline fundraisers on their gifts that they're working on helping them think through strategies, not telling them exactly what to do, but having having good conversations with them throughout, you know, at least monthly on gifts they're trying to close. What have you tried? What's not working? Can you get the meeting? Who do you need to have in that meeting with you? Um, so thinking that through, thinking through creative ideas in terms of how we get a donor to think about a large gift, how it worked for them, for their finances, how it works for them, for their tax purposes. Um, so working um, with individual fundraisers that way, um, and then I really like to have like COVID killed me. I'm sure it did everybody where, cause I'm a very extreme extrovert. And so I like to be with people and I like to have, um, you know, meaningful times with, with my staff. And so I want to know about what they want out of their career. I want to know. And so COVID was a very difficult time to be able to have those kind of uh, opportunities. But once we were back in, I started this back up where I would, I would take, my junior staff to lunch and I would, you know, one-on-one -on -one and say, where, what do you want to get out of this job? Where do you want to be in this particular organization and how can I help you get there? And then I work with their direct managers on a plan um, because I think that if they're happy and they're working towards something, they're going to work a lot harder for you and the, for the organization and be much more optimistic and positive. Um, and to so know I, that you're watching them and you're aware of their goals. That's huge. Yeah, I think that's important. I really, really do. And it doesn't matter. I mean, even down to, you know, entry-level assistance, I really have that conversation pretty within a year of them being with me on my team as to what, what do you want to get out of this? If you want to stay where you are, that's fine too. But let's, let's have that conversation. Let me help you build a strategy. I, I, I grew up in development. I started from square. I started from where they are. And I've seen almost every asset, I've almost worked in every single part of the, of, of the development organization. Mm -hmm. So I can help you think about what you need to be able to do to strengthen yourself, to be ready for that next job, for that next opportunity. And then I think, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, let's, let's try to keep someone, you know, out of organization for as long as we can. But I also am a big believer that like some people get stuck because there's just the opportunities, budgets are, budgets exist for a reason. I can't just pay people and I can't just create positions all the time. So I'm a big believer in training them to get ready for the next job at the next place, because in a way they're an extension of me and my network. And I want to make sure that we're, we're still close, that we're still, um, you know, that, that, that we still rely on each other for advice. And at some times they become the mentor to me because I, they, they may learn something that I want to know about. And so you know, I think that it's important not to just try to hold on to people all the time, but really make them really good development professionals that want to work in this industry. It's a small industry. I've never heard anyone put it quite that way. That uh -huh. 
that your team is an extension, but you're totally right. If you have a high functioning, high performing team, that does say something about you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm close with most everyone that, you know, that wants to be close with me. Um, <laughs> sometimes I think they're like, thank goodness he's out of my life. No, I hope not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I am still really close with people and I, and I make time, I make sure to make time for them. I can't make as much time for them as I do my current staff, but I do make time for them and try to see them, um, understand where they are, where they want to be. Is there any way that I can pull them back to my team in some way or another eventually? Mm -hmm. Um, because I also think that's good too. I like it when people leave and then want to come back because they've learned something different. They've had a different experience that they could probably come back and build upon um, working with me. And I think that that's, that's important too. Yeah. So you've talked about career conversations, um, open communication. What are other kind of core tenants that you hold? Yeah. Um, as a leader? Yeah. So I'm a big, big believer in taking care of yourself, your mental health, and your physical health and taking care of your family. I don't have children, don't want them, but I, but I very much value people with their family and taking time to be with them. Um, the job is just a job. We have to remind ourselves it's just a job and you have responsibilities that rely that, that and people that rely on you um, outside of, of your job. Um, and that has to be in order in order for you to do a good job at your job. And, and I think that, you know, this is a really, you know, look, we're not, we're not neuroscientists. We're not, we're not, um, you know, clinicians curing cancer, like, but we are a part of really hard conversations sometimes. Um, and I think that we're also, like I said earlier, we're told no a lot. I don't care if it's a thousand dollar gift or a hundred million dollar gift. I've been told no by, by everything in between. Across the board. And after you put so much of yourself into, you know, getting ready for that ask. There's a lot of emotional energy that goes into it. It takes a hit, even, even to me still today. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm approaching like 20 years in this business and, and it still takes a hit and that takes, that takes some mental, you know, strengthening. And so taking time for yourself mentally, making sure that your physical health is um, top of mind is very, very important to me. Cause I think if you're, if you've got all those in line, you're going to do so much better at your job and you're going to be, you know, like, again, fundraisers, we have to be a, you know, a complete optimist um, all the time. And, you know, you're not going to be able to do that if you've got other things weighing on your mind. So there's that piece. So that's actually something that I, as soon as any staff member starts on my team, I immediately have that conversation with them that your mental health, your physical health and your family come first. Um, you have to get those things in order and be confident there so that you can work really well here. Do you do um, that one-on-one? -on -one? I do that one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, with them. So usually their first week, I have a one-on-one -on -one with um, any any staff member. They're, they're not reporting to me, but, but you know, it's important for them to understand that from the top. And I expect my managers to do the same thing, to, to really lead the same way. And hopefully they do. I lead by example, I think a lot. And I think they see that and they, they're they know, well, if, if, if Brandon's doing that, well, then that's the way we should do it. And, and I think we've been six. I think that's part of the reason I've been so successful and that my teams have been so successful. And back to your experience at Rand, do you think it would be safe to say that you focused on the top of the pyramid and that was what really made the strategy happen? Or were there other aspects of it that we didn't get to touch on? Yeah, I mean, I definitely focus on top of the pyramid with the president. Um, and but I I thought it was really important because 
ran, I stepped into a, you know, an organization that was raising about 10 or 12 million a year. And then this past fiscal year that just closed actually on Sunday, they, they're one of the September 30th year, um, it was close to a hundred million dollars for that year. Um, wow. That doesn't happen by just focusing on the top long-term. Mm-hmm. I think that you really have to build for a long-term strategy. You have to build a good annual giving pro- uh, program. You have to build a really good plan giving program. Um, you have to build a really good volunteer engagement program. Uh, like I said, we had alumni, not the typical sense of a university, even though there's a small campus there that has their own alumni, but I'm talking about the whole RAND organization alumni, building up really good programming around that to keep those people engaged. Those are your long-term prospects. Those are the people that are going to be at the top of the pyramid one day, <clears throat> but they're not there yet. And so having a team that can help build that and see the value and knowing that they're what they're doing is more about long-term. Sure, they're going to get some short-term, smaller wins. Those are awesome. Those add up, like I said earlier. But I but I really built Rand like a small university um, fundraising shop um, because they, the universities they work and they, they you know the systems that are put in place, especially at the Ivies and some of these bigger um, universities like USC and Stanford. Um, they really uh, they they work for a reason. And there are hundreds of years of, of uh, proof that they work. And so building up um, Rand in that way was a real big priority of mine. And I think, I really think in the next, you know, 10 years, they could be launching a billion dollar campaign. Wow. They really do. From and 10 million to 1 billion. Well, 400 million. We did 400 million in this campaign. Right. But 10 million, million annually to that, obviously you wouldn't. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. pretty incredible. In about 15 to 20 years um, total, I think from 10 million to 1 billion, I think that's a really good, that's a good headline. <laughs> yeah. um, but I do think that that is really possible um, if they keep this foundation that we've built and they continue moving on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that that's a real likelihood. And another key thing too, is the staff was tripled. I think it's important for people to remember that too, that you, you were, you had that good faith to hire yeah, I got I got lucky too. I I immediately, of course, started on my senior team, and I um, had a couple of great stellar employees that were there already. That were they were great in um, what they were doing. You the donors, um, but I knew that I had to build out about four or five more positions that were pretty senior, either directly reporting to me or directly reporting to someone else on my senior team. Um, so I focused there first, and I had some really great people come with me that I could trust to then build the more robust team underneath them. Um, so when I, and I, that's another piece too, that I want to highlight when I manage people, I really hire good people and I get out of their way. I let them do their job. I think that is incredibly important. I'm here. If you need me, I'm not to say that I don't know what's going on. Cause I know everything I can see everything. And I quickly find out I don't micromanage though. I really, really believe that you should let them do their job. The other piece too, is that I, their decisions are a reflection of me and that being said, I support them when they have to make decisions. Maybe it's the exact way I would decide it. Maybe not. But at the end of the day, I'm going to support them and I'm going to back them up. And I'm going to say, that's where we're, that's the direction we're going in. And we may have to pivot. We may have to change a little bit as we go, but I empower them to make decisions that are going to impact their teams and impact their areas. You know, and I, like I said, a lot of, a lot of conversations happen between, you know, uh, the start of the conversation before they make decisions. But I really think that it's important that you hire good people that know what they're doing and let them do their job. So what are your plans for USC? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm so excited. Uh, one of the biggest uh, focus areas that I'm working on is building out a principal and transformational gift team here um, using the, the current staff that we currently have. So really just uh, bringing together some of those maybe seven to 10 top fundraisers. Um, and when I talk about it, I'm talking about just for the um, the university campus, not the health sciences, because that's another mm -hmm. entire area that um, Scott and others are going to be focused on. So, um, but working with this this team to think about strategies at the 10 million plus level, um, I'm working right now to identify the prospects that will be put in their portfolios. Um, they are very senior uh, fundraisers. They know their areas, but they're going to be focusing a lot on multidisciplinary areas. Some of the moonshots that President Volt has outlined, um, like for instance, frontiers of computing, really understanding advanced computing and how that plays a role in so many areas um, of research and so many areas of student um, uh, degree programs. So while you might think, well, that just sits solely in engineering, it's not the case here. It really sort of spreads across engineering and business and our college of arts and sciences. So um, working with those chief development officers across the organization to build up a robust transformational giving program, we want to double um, our million-dollar gifts and $10 million gifts that we did last year, which is a huge goal, but we have the prospects. Yeah, that's gold. We just need to be having the conversations. So get out and have those right conversations um, early and get those get those donors in to see you know students and faculty and researchers have a real understanding of our capabilities. Um, and, and make so those what's apps. that strategy? Just upping the volume? Yeah, Raising so- sites? Yeah, so really up in the volume, raising sites, um, working with the frontline fundraisers to understand that they're a P they all know those goals with me. It's mm -hmm. not just it's not just central campus, but it's all of campus. You know, and and focusing in on those prospects that are a rated at that level, of course, but b are ready to make a gift at that level. There are a lot of people. There's a lot of people that love. USC, just like every other university that graduates, very successful alumni. The the benefit of USC too is that we're in LA and there's a lot of people that just give to LA causes that are, you know, very, very wealthy people that didn't go here, but they want to be associated with the organization, with the research that we're doing. Um, and so that's that 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 adds to the, you know, to the opportunity here that we have in LA. But really um, the team will be owning that that larger goal and really getting them to understand that, going out, having the right conversations with the right people because we've got the right people. We just need to prioritize and make sure that we're fully focused on that. And are there new giving opportunities for those gifts or will those gifts be plugging into the evergreen uh, priorities? Yeah, so so both. Um, we definitely have funding opportunities that currently exist. You know, the typical things at universities, chairs, uh, scholarships, uh, buildings, um, you know, you name it, centers, research centers and institutes, that sort of thing. Uh, but the, the and I should actually say the research centers and institutes, some already exist and some will be new with these moonshots that, that President Fult has laid out. Um, there will definitely be opportunities for donors to understand a new way of research, things that we can do. That's been one of uh, her biggest priorities is to really grow the research arm at USC. And mm -hmm. I'm excited that a part of that will be philanthropy. A lot of that is, you know, federal government contracts and grants um, that we don't work with, but are very, very important part to how we can actually talk about USC to donors. Maybe some of the donors actually do some of the seed funding that get us in a good position to go after a federal grant. You know, so it, it works both ways. We can utilize um, uh, what everything that we're doing across campus and fundraising, and we need to be doing that.
Well, this all sounds very exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. It's a, it's a big opportunity. It's a big job, but um, I'm looking forward to learning. I'm looking forward to growing. I'm looking forward to doing. Um, that's that that keeps me motivated and keeps me going. So um, here we go. Well, I'd love to end with my signature question, which is yeah. what do you know for sure? <laughs> what do I know for sure? I for sure know that there are deeply passionate, deeply thoughtful uh, prospects and donors out there that have a real desire to support organizations like RAND, like USC, that are doing things for good, that are doing things for uh, their local communities, that are doing things for you know people federally, that are doing things for people globally. And it's just about getting out there, having those conversations with those people, getting them feeling to feel engaged. And I know that they will support the organization. I know that they will make a gift. I tell my team all the time, you cannot make, you can't write a check for someone. You can't make them make a gift, but I know that you can make them want to make a gift to the organization. So get out there, do your job, do it right, do it well, and the money will come in and the research and the, and the experiences will be produced. So Thank you for all of your optimism. I feel like we got a dose of optimism today uh, in this episode. Uh, and you've gotten me excited to get back to my conversations and to also help raising sites. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I can't let you go without doing the signature USC fight on. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm part of the family. I've drank the Kool-Aid. So here we are. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in today. Whether you're brand new to the development debrief or have been listening for years, I invite you to connect with me on socials. You can find me on LinkedIn or the podcast page called The Development Debrief and follow for updates there. You can also connect on Instagram at Dev Debrief, where I share additional details about episodes and other things happening in the wide world of development. So thank you for connecting. I look forward to meeting you and I hope you have a wonderful week.